Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Romans chapter 1, we will begin reading in verse 7. And the word of the Lord reads this way. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the, the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow that by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this is the life-giving word of the Lord. Uh, Pastor and author J.A. Metters once wrote, Keep preaching the gospel. Week in, week out, keep exalting, heralding, and lifting up our crucified Savior, risen from the dead, reigning in heaven, saving all who will look to him and believe. I want to welcome you this morning, and I want to welcome you back to the third part of this series titled um, Trusted with the Gospel. And the reason why we have been in this series is because that if you are a Christ follower, if you have been saved then what you need to understand is God has saved you for a purpose. God didn't save you so that you can just go on living your life like you'd had before. God didn't save you so you can simply be a better version of who you are. He didn't save you so that you can just slap the Christian label on your life and move on. God saved you for a reason. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship. It literally means we are his masterpiece, handcrafted in essence. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created us brand new in Jesus Christ. God handcrafted us for a reason. And as we talked about, the reason and the purpose that he's given us is to glorify God by changing the world. He saved you to change the world because obviously it needs to be changed. I mean, just this week in Egypt, a mosque was attacked by radical Islam extremists because of a difference in their theology and they left over 300 dead and over 100 wounded and over 20 of those were children from politicians and Hollywood celebrities who sexually assault people because they feel like they're above the law to children committing acts of heinous violence to teachers you know, doing drugs in their classroom and having inappropriate relationships with their students to psychopathic people going around, you know, on shooting rampages, targeting everyone, including, you know, people in the act of worship and children at school. It doesn't take a rocket scientist, it doesn't take a brilliant person to see that there's something wrong with the world, that the world is broken and it's filled full of broken people and it needs to be changed. It doesn't, doesn't, take a smart person to figure that out. And that's what God is calling us to do, to change the world. And and as I said before, most of us would love to change the world. And I believe that many of us, when we were kids, believed with all of our hearts that we could change the world. But something happened to us, right? We grew up, we became disillusioned. It seems that the problems that we end up solving end up making other things worse. Or we, we solve one problem here and then another po- problem pops up somewhere else. Right? It seems that, that changing the world is impossible. 
And so we begin to ask ourselves, what can we do? What, what, what possibly, what part can I play to actually make a difference? And so some of us, we just simply give up, right? We just say, forget it. There's not anything we can do. Others of us, we try, we do our very best. We have our little acts of, of kindness that we do to make the world a better place in small practical ways. But we feel like doing that doesn't really gain us very much. And then some of us, we just give up, right? And we just, some of us just say there's no point in even trying, right? Because, because of our worldview, we, with some people believe that the world's going to end soon, so God doesn't care about the world, so why even try to change the world? You see, either we feel helpless because life is hard and complicated and we feel that we, we can't do anything, or we feel like because of our end times convictions that there's no point in doing anything, or we feel like we can do something but really not much compared to the size of the problem. And so we're at one time, we're, full, we're filled full of hope, where we used to dream big and all these things were possible to us. We seem now to live at a time and place where all we can hope for, that the best we can do is just simply to survive and get by. But as we talked about, you were not called by God simply to get by. You were not called by God to sit on your hands. You were not called by God to live your life watching history march on. You were saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. Your purpose is to glorify God by changing the world. And not just temporarily, but permanently. Not in the short term, but permanently, eternally. Yes, we're called to feed the hungry. Yes, we're called to make peace. Yes, we're called to mourn with with the brokenhearted. But those are all temporary solutions. Because people will be hungry again. There will be people that will experience conflict again. People will suffer great loss again, this side of heaven. Yes, we need to do those things, but those are just the means to fulfill our real purpose. You see, our real purpose lasts for eternity, which is to glorify God by sharing, sharing the hope of Christ with the rest of the world. That is our purpose. Because it's by sharing the gospel of Christ that the world isn't changed just temporarily, but permanently. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us the gospel, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ is not just some story. It's not simply just some religious idea. It is the very power of God to bring salvation to anyone who believes. That's what the gospel is. It's the power of God to save the lost. It's the power of God to change the world. And that is the power that's been entrusted to you. You have been entrusted with a life-saving, world-altering gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ. And as we talked about, the gospel is the most powerful force you will ever wield in your entire life because it's the power of God himself to radically alter the lives of those you share it with. It has the power to alter their lives here and now, but more importantly, for all eternity. That's why we're called to change the world by sharing the gospel. But as we talked about last week, we kind of got to that place where we were just, we're real, right? And we decided that we, yeah, we, do, we struggle to do that. Right? We struggle to go out into the world and share the hope of Christ with other people. We asked the question, why? And what we talked about is that we came up with six common reasons why people don't share the gospel. And the first one is fear. People are just simply afraid either being rejected, either being made fun of, either looking like a fool or just simply because they don't want people to treat them differently. The second reason is many people don't share the gospels because they feel like they're not qualified. I don't know enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. Many people don't share the gospels because of political correctness. Heaven forbid we offend somebody, right? That's the worst thing it seems like you can do in the world right now is to offend somebody, right? And so people don't share the gospel because of that. Number four, the reason why people are hesitant to share the gospel is because they're influenced by, by our culture that tells you that all truth is relative. So don't give me your, your stuff because what's true for you ain't necessarily true for me. Number five, the reason why we don't share the gospel is because some people just don't have a strong faith because it's built on a weak foundation. Maybe somebody told them to come to Jesus because, you know, he'll make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. You know what I mean? Instead of actually for the right reasons. They have, they have a weak theological foundation. Or number six, many people struggle to share their faith because so many of those people that are around them believe differently than they do and have very strong convictions about their faith. Like our Mormon friends 
here in this community. People that we love and people we care deeply about, but they have very strong convictions. These are the six most common reasons people, you know, don't share the gospel. So how do we overcome these obstacles? Well, you know, what do we need to do? Well, last week we looked at that and we, we discovered in the text that, number one, we need to be ready, right? Because the vast majority we figured out is most of us aren't ready to do so. We haven't made a plan to do so. We're not intentional to, to be ready to go out and share the gospel. We certainly have the grocery list but when we go to the store and we certainly are ready to do all the stuff we need to get ready for work, but we're not ready to share the gospel. And so the first thing we need to do is get ready, right? Because only when you're ready, then you'll actually do so. And so we need to be intentional and be ready to do so. And, and we talked about how to do that. And then number two, we overcome the obstacle of sharing our faith by walking in faith. Sharing the gospel is an act of faith. We know it is who it is that we believe in. We know who it is that we trust in. And we know that if, if we will do what he's calling us to do, even if we're terrified, he will not let us be put to shame. We share the gospel because we have faith. And number three, we overcome these obstacles by remembering what our job is. You see, our job is to share the gospel. It's God's job to save people. I think we have a tendency to want to take too much responsibility and, think, and take it way too personally when people say no. Our job is to be faithful to tell people about our hope in Christ. It is God's job to prepare their hearts to respond to it. I mean, which means that, that if a person that you share the gospel with says no to you, uh, that's okay. Because... They're not saying no to you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God, right? And so, and so what we need to do is we just need to do our job, which is to trust that God will do his. We need to share the gospel and then trust God with the results. And as we wrapped up last week, we came to understand that if we will do these things, if we will get ready to share the gospel, if we will walk in faith and keep in mind what our job is, that is to share the gospel and that God's job is to produce salvation, we will actually be prepared to fulfill the purpose that God has for us, which, as we talked about, is to glorify him by telling people about the glorious riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the rest of the world. Now, that's a real quick review of where we've been the last couple of weeks. And if you missed any of the last two messages, I just want to encourage you to take a moment uh, this week and either go to our church website or our SoundCloud page, which is might be more convenient for you, and listen to the messages that you've missed. You'll actually get more out of what we're talking about today and what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. And, um, and so for your convenience, we put the addresses in uh, your bulletin. Um, now, this series really has been about us unpacking this text that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, where Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, in... This week, what I want to do is I want to concentrate on a little something that Paul says in verse 15 that I believe that's really, really important, but it's really super easy to miss. Uh, he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. And we talked all about what it means to be eager and to be ready to preach the gospel. He says, I'm ready. I'm eager to preach the gospel. But then he says, to you who also are in Rome. And this is actually might not mean much to you yet, but this is a big statement because who is Paul actually talking to here? I mean, think about this. When Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write this letter to just a bunch of random people at Rome, right? This letter wasn't a press release or, you know, wasn't a flyer to be sent around Rome so that way uh, that they would announce that, that he's coming to town and that they're going to have this great big conference on religion and philosophy, right? So get ready for this new theological conference or something like that. This wasn't an advertisement to just a bunch of random, you know, people who are just going to pass it on the streets. This was a letter written to a specific group of people. Paul was thinking about a specific group of people in mind that had a specific identity when he wrote this letter. In fact, let's look at Hebrews, I mean, look at the Romans 1, uh, verse 7 again. Uh, there are some clues in the text. It says, to all those in Rome, so obviously he's talking to the people in Rome, who are loved by God. Now, this is really important. They're loved by God, and they're called to be saints. 
Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. He didn't say my Father or your. He says our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, I want you to notice this. Of the people that he's writing this letter to, Paul says some very important things. He says, those in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints. And then he says that, that uh, he says he thanks God for their faith, right? For their faith, it's known around the world. So these people are loved by God, they're saints, and they have faith. So who is Paul talking to here? Well, he's talking to very clearly the church. He's talking to believers. He's talking to those in Rome who've made a profession of faith and now identify themselves as a part of the local body of believers in Rome. So suffice to say, Paul is talking to Christians. So in verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, the way my mind works, I just want to know why. Why is Paul eager to preach the gospel to the believers in Rome? They're already believers, right? I mean, why doesn't Paul say, well, since you're believers, I'm eager to come preach to you about discipleship, right? I'm eager to come teach you the doctrines of our faith. I'm eager to come and hold a class on theology, right? The, the, the things that you need to know, right? I'm eager to come and teach you how to walk in the spirit. I'm, I'm eager to come to you and teach you how to live out this faith in real life. That's not what he says. He says, instead, I come, I'm, I'm eager to preach to you the gospel. I'm eager to preach to you about the good news that you have this problem, that you're a sinner, Right? And the problem will lead to catastrophic consequences in this life and also in eternity, which is, which is hell. And if you don't fix that problem, right, you're doomed, but, but you can't fix it because you can't do anything about it. But God and his love for you made a way for you to escape that problem. And that way is Jesus Christ. And you have access to that. You have access to this, to this solution to your problem through grace, through faith in Christ alone. He says, I'm eager to preach to you that gospel. Now, not only does he say that then, right? Not only does he say, I'm eager to preach this gospel to you, but then he spends the next several chapters in his letter explaining exactly in great detail what the gospel is. In fact, we talked about how we can use the Romans road. The reason why we can use the Romans road that we talked about last week to share our faith with other people is because, because Paul makes a point to explain not just discipleship and how to walk with the spirit. He explains in great, incredible detail what the gospel actually is. Romans is the best theological explanation of the gospel in the entire Bible. Paul explains in, in great detail how every human being is a sinner. And because of that, we are separated from God. We live a life of brokenness and futility here on earth. And, and worse, we will one day face eternal damnation because of that sin. And Paul explains that if, if we don't fix it, we're in trouble, but we can't fix it by our own efforts. So trying to follow a bunch of rules is futile. But Paul explains that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent his son to die in our place. And not only that, not only do we have forgiveness because of, for our sins, but we are also set free from the power of sin. We have peace with God where we were once his enemies. We have peace with God as one of his children. And now we're given the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so it seems, at least to me, kind of odd that Paul, that, that Paul isn't just writing a letter to these believers to tell them, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. But that he's also trying to explain this, which, which the reality is they should already know, right? I mean, they should already know the gospel because they are believers. And not only that, this letter is a big, thick outline detailing exactly what he's going to preach to them, which is something they should already know in the first place. But I know that maybe that's just the way I'm taking and making too much out of this, but I still have to ask the question, why? Why is he so eager to go preach the gospel to a bunch of people who already should believe the gospel in the first place? Because he doesn't actually say, hey, guess what? When I come, invite your family, invite your friends, the people that don't believe, so that we can actually, like, you know, save some souls. He doesn't say that at all. He says, I come to share the gospel with you who are at Rome, who I just 
said it was a saint who I say that your faith is so strong that it's talked about in all the world. Why did he feel like, why did he do that? Did he feel like they didn't really know the gospel? Did he feel like that they hadn't heard it? I mean, he's calling them saints, right? He says that their faith is known around the world. So obviously he's not saying that. In fact, Paul's the one that said that salvation comes by faith and faith by hearing the gospel. So obviously he's not saying that there was never, that they never heard the gospel, right? Or that they don't have faith. He's not saying that they're unbelievers. So why is he eager to preach this redundant message that they already know so much about anyway? Well, actually, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons why he, should, he, he was willing to preach the gospel, you know, to people that already know it. But instead of keeping you here all afternoon... Um, we'll make sure that you guys get to lunch on time. And so what we'll do is we'll focus on a couple of things, a couple of points that we can actually mine out of this text that I think that, that Paul helps us to see. In fact, um, looking at verse, beginning of verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may re- reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, in this text, there are two expressions that are really kind of vague that many of us overlook. In fact, I think that we've already overlooked them. Uh, but I think that if we take some time and look a little closer at these expressions, uh, that'll shed some light on why, pa- why Paul would be so eager to preach the gospel to a group of people who already know and believe the gospel. And the first one, the first expression is where Paul says that, that he longs to see the Romans, that he may give them some spiritual gift. In fact, he says specifically, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, this particular text is, is not only vague, but it's the subject of a wide-ranging debate amongst serious conservative scholars. And there's, there are lots of opinions about this text And probably one of the more common ones is some people think that Paul wants to see the Romans so he can give them some charismatic gift, like the gift of tongues or healing or something like that. And there are a number of people who try to make that case, but the problem is the context doesn't really allow that because Paul is actually talking about something else. And it's really not as obvious in English, but when you read the Greek, it is becomes really obvious. And if you want more information about all that boring Greek stuff, then you can actually like, Go to our church website, look up Bible studies, and go to that section of Romans, and you can hear that whole conversation if you'd like to. But suffice it to say, but suffice it to say, um, Paul is not looking to impart to them some spiritual or, or, or charismatic gift. Paul is looking to do something else. The, 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 content, the context actually helps us to see that. He says, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you and that we be, might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And when Paul says, I want to strengthen you, the word that he uses in the Greek here means not simply just to strengthen, but it means or it gives a sense of supporting or reinforcing something. It's the idea of, of strengthening someone. You strengthen and you reinforce someone so they can withstand something that's going to come against them. It's this idea of propping something up is what's behind this word here. So Paul says, I want to come to you to give you a gift that props you up. It strengthens you and supports you. And he says, and he says, and by doing so, we will be encouraged by one another's faith. Well, the question that we have to ask ourselves then is, what Could a pastor or an evangelist possibly give to someone uh, or a group of someones to strengthen them in order that they might stand their ground? What can a minister of the gospel give to someone else that would would provide strength to them and, and would encourage them? The word of God. That's what Paul is saying. The word of God. Right? That's what ministers do. They give people the word of God. Day after day, week after week, they impart the word of God to other people. That's what they do. That's the spiritual gift that Paul wants to, to offer them. The preaching of the life-saving, <clears throat> world-changing word of God. That's, that, that's how he's going to strengthen them. That's how they, 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 will, they will be mutually encouraged. That's the gift that he wants to give. 
right? When, when he sees them, right, he wants to strengthen them. And when he sees them strengthened, when he sees them growing, then they are mutually then encouraged by their faith. That's what ministers do. I mean, I mean, think about this. Let's just be real practical here. Why do people come to their pastors for counseling? Because, believe me, they, they line up to come to their pastors for counseling. Is it because they have a, a degree in psychology? Nope. Is it because they take a lot of counseling classes? Nope. Is it because they know more than everybody else? Nope. Is it because they're smarter than everybody else? Well, no, they're not. Okay? Not always, anyway. Okay? But why? Why do they come to their pastors for counseling? The reason why people come to their pastors for counseling is because if the pastor is worth his salt, he will help them to find strength for their problems and wisdom for their problems in the word of God. That's what he'll do. He'll point them to the word of God. When people come to me for counseling, the first thing I tell them is, hey, look, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to hear what you have to say. But ultimately, I'm going to point you back here. I'm going I'm to take you back here. This is where the solutions are. Sorry. So if a pastor is worth his salt, he's going to point them to the word of God. He will support them and prop them up with the word of God. He will help them to find strength in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that it brings. Remember, Paul says the gospel is the power of God to change the world. You are never more powerful than when you wield the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is the power of God to change things both here and now and for eternity. And what Paul is saying is, I long to come to you so I may impart some spiritual gifts, that I may preach the word of God to you. And he's very vague. He says some spiritual gift because he doesn't know exactly what he's going to preach to them. Right. And the reason why is because he doesn't know them specifically. Right. That's why he says some spiritual gift. He doesn't know what they need yet. Right? He's, he's like, I haven't met you yet. I've not been to Rome, so I don't know if you're having trouble with sin. I don't know if you're, having, if you're having trouble with staying focused on the gospel. I don't know if you need help with discipleship. I don't know if you have false teachers among you. Right? I don't know what you actually need yet until I get there. What I do know is that if, if I was there, I would be able to preach something from the word of God that would help you. That I'd be able to share with you the gospel in a way that's relevant to your life and relevant to your situation. I'd be able to share with you the hope that we have in Christ in a way that that would, would strengthen you and support you and encourage you in your situation right now. That is what Paul is promising when he says, I wish to impart some spiritual gift to you. And that is part of the reason why he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Because, because he says, I know what I do that I will be able to preach to your context and will strengthen you. You see, one of the reasons why Paul is going to preach the gospel to those who have already heard the gospel is because the gospel brings strength to believers. The gospel not only helps to turn unbelievers into believers, it also strengthens and encourages people who already believe. That's why we continually preach the gospel here. Because it strengthens us. It encourages us. Christ willingly died on the cross to save a jerk like me. Right? I'm fully aware of what I've done in my life. But Christ died to save someone like me. That gives me hope to carry on. The fact that when I fall face down and make a mistake, that I understand that God is not like yelling at me you know, and, 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 cur- and cursing me. He's beckoning me to get up. Right? By the blood of Christ that who's forgiven me, that it reinforces me, that strengthens me. I don't know about you, but I need a daily reminder of those truths. Right? I believe you do. And so do your children. And so does your, your spouse. And so do your neighbors and your friends and your family. They need to hear repeatedly about Christ's unconditional love for them. They need to hear how that love of Christ is shaping your love for them. They need to hear that no matter who they are, no matter where they've been or what they've done, that they are loved by you and by God. They need to know that God loved them so much, that God valued them so much, that their life was so important to God that he sent his own son to be brutally tortured and to be nailed to a Roman cross where he literally suffocated to death in order to create a way for you to have a relationship with God. And that no matter what they're going through, 
in this moment. No matter what's happening in their life right now, God has promised to indwell them and to be with them and to never leave them or forsake them. That's one of the reasons why Paul is preaching the gospel to those who've heard the gospel. It is because they need to hear it again and again and again. The gospel brings daily strength and hope and encouragement to everyone, especially those who believe. And that's why we as Christians, as Christ followers, need to continually be preaching and sharing the gospel. Not just pastors, not just ministers, not just the teachers of classes. All Christ followers, all Christians need to be continually preaching the gospel to our children, to our, to our spouses, to our co-workers, our friends, our family. We need to continually preach the gospel to everyone, even if they've heard the gospel. We need to continue to remind each other of the love of God. And we need to continually remind each other that we don't have to make God love us. He already loves us. We need to remind each other that we have been set free in Christ, free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin. Christian, you need to be preaching the gospel every day to people around you. But most importantly, you need to be preaching the gospel to yourself. Because I'm suspecting that you're probably a lot like me. You're probably your own worst critic. You're probably your own worst enemy. That's why so many of you battle the things like anxiety and depression and guilt. It's because you're beating yourself up all the time. And I know what it's like. There are those times I can get into my own little funk where I'm painfully aware of all of my shortcomings. Oh, I forgot to do that. Oh, I didn't spend as much time in the Word as I wanted to. Oh, I forgot to, I forgot to pray. I forgot to call that person and tell them I'm thinking about them. Oh, that dude in that other lane, I'm about to punch him in the mouth. How could I act like that when I'm, when I'm a Christian? Oh, I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. Right? Oh, I meant to spend time with him, but I didn't. Oh, I'm failing in so many ways. And suddenly I begin to feel like I'm so inadequate. And I'm, I'm really, I need to buckle down and, and be the good Christian and do the things that God wants me to do. And I believe, you know, I begin to feel like God isn't happy to meet with me anymore. And he's looking at me going, Sherman, you're just not cutting the mustard, man. You know, because I'm not doing all the things that I need to do for spiritual discipline. And, and I get inside my own head and then I realize, man, God doesn't love me because of what I can do for him. He loves me in spite of the fact that I'm going to fail him. My relationship with God isn't about what I can do to please God. My relationship is about the fact that Christ died on the cross to set me free. And the only thing I can do is to receive that gift through faith. And my job is to rest in that and trust in that. And out of gratitude, be obedient to him. And then allow God to work through me as I continue to little by little grow and surrender progressively more and more as he's working inside of me, sanctifying me. We all need to continually preach and share the gospel because we all need to hear it. So we can be encouraged ourselves and strengthened by it. That's what Paul is driving at. Now, the other thing that we see in this text is the expression where Paul says that he is often intended to come to Rome so that he can reap some harvest or, or reap some fruit among them like the rest of the Gentiles. And understand, in, in this text, it's, it's kind of vague, right? And there's, there's a great deal of debate about the precise meaning, you know, among some scholars. And I think it's important for us to always, in texts like this, leave some room in our understanding of the text for other perspectives. But I believe that in essence, what Paul is saying here is I, I, I have longed to come to you so that I can preach the gospel to you. So I can have a part in winning souls for the Lord in Rome, because that's what I do. I'm a preacher. I have longed to come to you so I can share the gospel with you that I may help lead some of you to the truth. So that some of you might be saved is really what Paul is saying. And that might seem a little out of place considering who he's talking to. Because, because as we said, Paul is writing a letter to a church, a gathering of believers. Right? And he's, t- and he's telling them, I, I want to share the gospel with you so I might take part in, you know, in, in the spiritual harvest where some of you might be saved is in essence what he's saying. But wait a minute, I thought they were, they were believers already. Well, there's the issue. You see, 
Just because a person makes a profession of faith doesn't make a person a believer. Just because a person once said, I invited Jesus into my heart, doesn't make them a believer. Just because a person comes to church every Sunday, you know, and everyone around them thinks that they're a believer, doesn't make them a believer. Now, before you get real upset with me about this, I want you to hear me out because I was five years old and made a profession of faith. And I believed I was saved because grandma said, you're saved. Right? And nobody knows more about that stuff than grandma does. Right? And I never doubted it when I was growing up. I just believed I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. But the thing was, is I wasn't a believer at all. I didn't have a relationship with God. I hadn't repented you know, and turned to Christ as my savior. I didn't even know what that meant. Right? But for years, I believed I was saved. I thought I was a believer. And so did everyone else I talked to. Oh, so you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, yes, you're saved, right? Never mind that my life didn't look anything like it. Never mind that I had no internal or external, you know, evidence of my faith. All I had to say is I believe in Jesus and people were like, they left me alone. He's saved. They never asked, what do you, what do you believe about Jesus? Suddenly, you know, I mean, I mean, seriously, I didn't even know that Jesus was God until I finally got saved as an adult. I didn't even know that was a thing. And to make things worse, when I went to, to church in Sunday school, you know, I went many times, you know, growing up as a kid. And I remember people talking about lots of things about, you know, the, the stories like Noah and David and Samson. And I can remember preachers talking about things that they thought were really important, like tithing, right? And, 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 and giving and family relationships. And I remember pastors talking about serving and the importance of coming to church every time the doors are open, but I don't remember anybody preaching the gospel, not on Sunday, not in, not, not in Sunday school, not on church. I didn't remember hearing anybody, you know, talking about the fact that I have a problem. And that problem is going to lead me to, to, to horrible consequences or hell and that I can't fix it. But that God loved me so much that he made a way for me that all I need to do is repent and accept it as a gift. I don't remember hearing any of that. I do remember the story about Daniel in the lion's den. That was pretty cool, right? I remember th- th- this teaching on David and Goliath where, you know, the pastor said, that, hey, well, we're like David and our problems are like Goliath. And if we'll just believe in God, then, you know, God will defeat our problems like, you know, David did for Goliath. But I don't remember, I don't remember um, anyone saying what, it need, what I needed to do to be saved. I don't remember anyone talking about the gospel. All those years of my life, I was not saved. People believed I was. I believed I was, but I, I wasn't. In fact, I know for a fact, if I would have died then, I would have died in my sins, then I would have been lost. No one ever challenged my assumptions. No one ever preached the gospel to me. No one ever made sure I really understood what it meant. No one ever said, well, you know, you say you're a Christian, but man... You're a jerk. <laughs> you know? Like no one ever challenged me that. And it was and, and, and because of that, and because of what I've seen, it's my conviction that just about every church in America has people in the pews right now who think that they're saved, who believe that they have a relationship with God, who believe that they're gonna go to heaven, but are actually destined to hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But did we do all this stuff in your name, Jesus? I don't know you. That's, there, there are people in every church, I believe, that are on their way to hell. And I believe I was one of them at, at that point in my life. That's why I think Paul wanted to preach the gospel again to the Romans. He didn't doubt that there were believers. He just knew that there were probably those who who didn't truly understand the gospel yet. That there are people who heard it and they're going, amen to that, but they didn't really understand it and receive it. I mean, not only did did he he figure that there were probably going to be some unbelievers invited, but he knew that there were those people in that church, a part of that church family that were not converted yet. People that didn't understand the gospel. That's why the early church had to fight so hard against false teaching. There were people who were part of the church who were susceptible to this false doctrine because they hadn't actually been converted to where they actually knew the truth. 
And it was like that then, and I believe it's like that now. There are people in every church, I believe, that, that think that they believe in God, who are faithful and attend worship. And they may even be part of the church family, but they've never really understood and received the gospel of Christ by faith. And that's why Paul, I think, preached the Roman, wanted to preach the gospel to the Romans. And that's why Paul preached the gospel over and over and over again. You read the letters, he talks about it over and over again. Because the gospel is the life-saving message. And until you hear it, until you understand it and obey it, it's not going to make any difference in your life. That's why we share it over and over and over again. There's not a lot of new stuff when you, when you hear me preach, right? Because we want you to hear it. We want you to understand it. We want you to accept it. We want you to believe it. So we continually declare it. We know the gospel will strengthen you and the gospel will save you. That's why we continually preach it. And it bears fruit. In fact, there is a lady in our church who just accepted Christ as her Savior this week. Her name is Lucy. And uh, I just got to tell you a little bit about our story, because some of you might have seen her around, but you need to know a little bit more about her. She grew up being made to go to the Catholic Church when she was a child, and she believed that's what she had to do. She believed that was how you had faith. And so that's how she grew up. And she even made her own daughter go to the Catholic church when she was young. But her daughter, Samantha, married Thomas, a person who'd already received the gospel and wasn't going to have any of that business. And the two of them, Thomas and Samantha, moved to Boron and started to come to church here where they became um, plugged in. And then Lucy moved here to Boron. And in Samantha's own words, she'll never come to this church. But then Lucy started coming to the church. And you got to understand, when she came, she started coming when I started teaching and preaching on the Reformation and talking about Martin Luther and how he had problems with the Catholic Church. And I talked at great length at the differences between the Catholic Church and what it teaches about salvation and what the Word of God actually teaches about salvation itself. And suddenly, here is Lucy hearing the gospel for the first time time and suddenly she's hearing it you know she's hearing that you're not saved by your works but you're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and she heard that message over and over and over again because as I said I can I repeat myself a whole lot right but she heard that over those course of weeks she heard that over and over and over again for several weeks right and something in her began to process that and then last week she and Diana Wise were cleaning the sanctuary and Diana Wise being you know actually doing the homework that, that we gave her to do to talk to somebody about the gospel, she picks up one of those spiritual laws tracks, four spiritual laws, and she sits down with Lucy and goes through it one more time. And in that moment, the gospel made sense to her. And she believed. And she received Christ as her Savior by grace through faith. And she became a Christian last Wednesday. And she said, all those years I went to, this, went to the church but I always felt so empty. I heard him talk and say these things and do these things, but I always left feeling empty. All those years, she did all that stuff. And still, she didn't understand the gospel. She didn't know what it meant to be saved. But now she knows the truth. Now she's received the truth. Now she is walking with God. Now she knows where she's going. That's why Paul wanted to preach the gospel to the Romans. That's why we preach the gospel over and over and over again. It's because we need to make sure people hear it. We need to make sure people understand it. We need to make sure that people believe it. And that's why you need and I need to repeat the gospel. I mean, you already need to share the gospel to strengthen people in your life. But you also need to, to share the gospel to make sure that they have heard it and understood it. Even people you believe know the gospel. You need to continue to remind them. You need to, you need to tell them over and over again about the bad news that, they, they, have, that were, they were facing and the good news that God has given us in Christ. You need to remind them that they're saved by grace through faith. That means your friends. That means your family and your spouse and your children and your grandchildren. In fact, I have five kids. And all of them relatively at a young age made a confession of faith. And as much as I love them and love to believe that that profession was real, there have been times I've had reason to doubt. 
Um, in fact, my oldest daughter at one point, she began to become very rebellious. And she even said that she doubted the story about Christ. She didn't believe in organized religion, which is code word, which means I don't know how to argue with you. So I'm just going to say I don't believe in organized religion. So you don't talk to me about it no more. Right? And so she felt that there were, there were lots of points of view that, that might be the truth. And it seemed like that she might have not really understood the gospel. But then as she got a little older, she began to come back around and secretly I found out she began to listen to me on SoundCloud and, um, and, and, you know, she didn't want me to know about it at first, but, but, but she's been embracing then the truth of the gospel. She's been embracing faith in Christ again. In fact, she's gotten plugged into a church in Bakersfield and, and I'll continue to preach the gospel to her over and over and over again, because I want to make sure that she fully understands it. Now, my oldest son, he made a profession of faith when he was younger. Pastor Tom baptized him right there, right? He was plugged into the youth group. He, when he joined the army, he got plugged into a Bible study. He listens on SoundCloud regularly, right? And then now him and his wife have gotten plugged into the church in, in, in Washington where they live. And I'm pretty confident that he has heard and understood the gospel. We talk about it quite a bit. But I will continue to share with him the hope of Christ over and over and over again because I want to strengthen him, and I want to make sure that he understands. And I'm going to do the same thing with all my younger kids. I'm going to do that with my granddaughter. I'm going to do that with my dad. I'm going to do that with my wife and my sister and my brother and my community and my church family. I will share the gospel with everyone over and over and over again. And you need to do the same thing. Paul was eager to preach the gospel to a group of people who already were considered to be believers. And he wanted to do so because the gospel brings strength and hope and encouragement to those who need it. And he wanted to make sure that if there were souls that needed to be saved, that they got saved. And that, my friends, is all our calling. You have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've been entrusted with the gospel to go out and change the world. And it is, it is your calling to be ready to walk in faith and to trust God with the results. And it is your calling to continually share the gospel, even with people who have heard it, because the gospel is the power of God to save sinners, and it's the power of God to strengthen believers. And so this week, not only go out and share the gospel with someone new like you said you would. How many of you said you would last week? Okay. I'm not going to ask how many did, but. And so this week, go out and share the gospel with someone new like you said you would. But then also share the gospel with people that are close to you. Even if you believe they know it and believe it. You see, we're talking about the most important issue in all of humanity. I know there are times that your financial um, woes will make that make it feel like that's the most important. I know that, man, when you watch CNN, it seems like other stuff's more important, right? I know that when you're arguing with your spouse and things, things that are falling apart, it seems like that might be the most important issue of your life, but it's not. The most important issue in all of humanity is the issue of eternity. And the stakes are really high. For those who get this right, there's the reward of heaven. For those who get it wrong... Like I had for many years, theirs is everlasting torment. So we were morally obligated to turn over every stone, to ask every question, to take every opportunity to share the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone, especially those closest to us. That's how we change the world. So to be eager, so go out and be eager and be ready to share the gospel this week. Because it's the power of God to save those who don't believe. And it's the power of God to strengthen those who do. And now you've heard the gospel again. So be strengthened. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the life-giving truth of the gospel. And as many times as I've heard it, it still mystifies me. It still... It still messes with me. I understand. I mean, people ask me the hard questions. How can you know the Bible 2,000 years old is true? I bet those are questions that are easy to answer with history. How, how, could, how could, you know, a good God exist if evil exists? That's actually a philosophical argument. It's easy to, to talk about. 
The hard question is, is why would you save someone like me? Why would you send your son to save someone like me? But you did. And that's the hope that I have. That's the strength that I have. And Father, I just pray that all of us would take that to heart seriously, that we would walk in that, Lord. That where we were once separated from you, where we were once distant from you, where, where, where our world was completely separated from you, you are the one who condescended. You're the one who reached across the gap. You're the one who sent Jesus, God in the flesh, to the earth to live a perfect life, to fulfill the law that I couldn't fulfill, and then to willingly go to the cross on my behalf and to die for me, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Living through a torment that I could possibly not ever know. Why? Because you love me that much? Lord, I pray all of us would just embrace that and walk in that, Lord, and that we would teach that, Lord, that our kids would hear it, that our spouses, our grandparents, our parents, our neighbors would hear that, Lord, that, we, that you would rise up a people in this place would go out and make sure every human being in this community has heard the gospel. And when that happens, we go out further and we would share the gospel even further out. I pray, Father God, that you would strengthen our hearts to walk in this, that we are empowered into this, that we would, we would take it seriously, Lord, and that we wouldn't leave any stones unturned. I pray, Father, that you bless and protect all that are here. Meet those who need to be met, Lord. And I pray, Father, you bless those who are not here. And I pray that you return them here safely. We pray again in the pens, mother and father. We pray that you would be glorified and saved in Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world. Thank you.